What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The rest of you hope you join me at some point later throughout our rest of our morning together. <clears throat> if you have a copy of God's Word, join me in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can pull it up on your electronic device or on the, the uh, chair in front of you. There should be a white ESV, English Standard Version Bible. Uh, and uh, you can open it up, and uh, not too hard to find the book of Genesis. Uh, you can look to table contents, but if not, it's the very first book you're going to come to, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to be wrapping up chap- verse 17 and trying to finish chapter 5, verse 32. So I know it's all a gasp at that particular moment, because typically it takes us a minute, uh, probably talk for over an hour this morning, or right around an hour, uh, and it was two verses out of uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. So we're about to tackle chapter 14, chapter 4, verse 17, all the way uh, through the beginning of chapter 6. So we're going to finish chapter 5, the Lord willing, today. And so with that, you may be thinking, man, this seems intense. And it will be uh, a little bit. Uh, But with that, we're going to be looking at some genealogies, right? Some uh, lists of children. And so many times as we're going to look at this, I want you to begin to uh, see what we can begin to learn from these things. I know if you've tried to make it an aim to read through the Bible, you begin to get to, for example, the book of Numbers, and you start reading all the genealogies, and you're just like, names that you cannot pronounce, uh, they don't really mean very much to you, and you're thinking, why is this even in the Scriptures? And so hopefully this morning you're going to get to see that there are much for us to learn about uh, descendants. There's much for us to learn about the genealogies as we walk through this this morning. And in that, I, I want us to see that there's uh, much that we can teach our world about it rather than allowing our world to read the Bible with a different set of lenses. And so hopefully you're going to see that as we walk through that this morning as well. So let me read our passage uh, and help us out. Just note for a quick recap, God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rested, right? So that's where we had found ourselves. He gave uh, some commands for them, the two uh, uh, humans, the first two humans he created, Adam, uh, which is a male, and and, uh, Eve, which was a female, uh, for them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? So they would, for the glory of God, procreate and create children that would fill the earth with God's glory. And the reason they could, because there was no sin that entered, entered into the world. And so at that particular time, Uh, He gave them one prohibition, one warning. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And not that the tree itself was there something wrong with it or it was contaminated or poisoned. And when they did, they were going to be poisoned, right? It wasn't like that. It was an an attempt for them to begin to see their loyalty and allegiance to Christ uh, or to God and for them to be able to honor him with that. So all the other trees of the garden they could eat except for this one. And evil and sin entered the world through their choice, right? Their uh, Eve's deception and Adam's willing uh, willingness to uh, partake with his wife. And so as a result of that, uh, they, the promise that God had given them that they were going to die was going to happen. They begin to realize their sin and their shame, and they tried to hide themselves from God. And at that particular time, he expels them from the garden, uh, curses the serpent who had deceived Eve, 
And if you have a lot more questions about that, you can go back and listen to our, our uh, previous sermons. We've covered much of that. But uh, we had deceived Eve, so he curses the serpent. But in that, he provides a promise that there was going to be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, and not necessarily snakes against humans for the rest of creation, more so the nature of the, the serpent, those who would be against God, and the, and the uh, nature of the woman who would be, as we're going to see, before God, as they were, were then provided for and uh, was granted a provision of God's grace after the curse. And so then there was a promise made that God's going to bruise his head, the serpent's head, and then he, or uh, yes, and then the serpent was going to bruise his heel. Then ultimately gives some consequences to the sin uh, of the woman, that she was going to have um, uh, multiple, uh, multiply her pain in childbearing, and ultimately she's going to desire uh, to ha- rule over her husband. Her desire will be contrary to her husband, but he's going to rule over her. And then ultimately and with Adam, that he was going to, uh, because he listened to the voice of his wife, curse the ground was going to be, and it was going to through toil and hard work that he was going to be able to eat of the ground. Thorns and thistles were going to be coming from it, and by the sweat of his brow he would be able to live. But in that, God then gave them grace, did not kill them immediately, which he could have. He clothed them with garments of skin, uh, and then expelled them from the garden as another opportunity of God's grace, not because he hated them, but because if they had eaten of the knowledge of, uh, the, of the tree of eternal life, they would have remained there forever. They had ate of the tree of life. They would have been in their sinful state forever. From that, they conceive Adam and Eve, and they have two, two sons. They have Cain and Abel. And as we studied the last couple of weeks, that Abel um, gave a, a, a offering that God uh, regarded, and then Cain did not. And then Cain did not respond well to that, ended up killing his brother, and then God judges him, right? And so the last verse we see in chapter 4, verse 16 that we covered last week was, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, or the land of wandering, east of Eden. And that makes sense because in verse 14, part of his judgment was that he should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, right? And so that's the the, uh, judgment that's going to be brought upon him. So he settles in a place called Nod, or wandering from there. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 17, and we will read to the end of chapter 5, all right? So Cain knew his wife. That means that uh, they, had, uh, they knew each other sexually. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. Now, you're going to see things coming up. just want to go ahead and tell you ahead of time. You're going to see an Enoch already in the line of Cain, and you're going to see a Lamech in the line of Cain. You're going to see those names again in the line of Seth. I'll explain who he is in just a moment. And those are two different people, or four different people. Even though two of them have the same name of Enoch and two of them have the same of Lamech, they're in two different lines, two different lineages. So, So if you see them, I don't want you to get confused. So verse 19, and Lamech took two wives. First reference of polygamy in the scripture, so you're going to see that Cain's line does not get better. They continue to be sinful, right? So Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal, uh, the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. 
If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's, Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So you're going to see what happens to Cain after he leaves the presence of the Lord and then settles uh, in the land of wandering. Well, he continues to wander farther and farther away from God, and his lineage continues to wander farther and farther away from God, where then polygamy, uh, having two wives, is already introduced uh, as a result of the sin. And then Lamech's boasting uh, about his own uh, anger and wrath uh, and killing a person, which is what brought judgment upon uh, his forefather, right, uh, which is why Cain got expelled in the first place, and then brags to his two wives in his polygamous relationship about his sin, right, and that ultimately that God was going to uh, have vengeance on anyone who would kill him for a result of killing this young man, uh, and that would be 77-fold, so he's very braggadocious here, as you begin to see. Then you're going to move back to Adam and Eve again, so that was Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and then you see after his expulsion, this is what happens to him, and you begin to see his lineage. And you're going to see uh, there from Adam and Cain, there will be seven generations with this one lineage, right? This one line of sons. Uh, so Cain will have seven generations listed there, right? So as we walk through those, you begin to see that. Then it's going to move back to Adam. You're going to see a different line that's going to be given to us, and that's going to be the line of Seth. And you're going to see ten generations. So just want to give the little heads up as we read this together. So... Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and once again, a synonym for sexual relations, knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And there the, the uh, word Seth sounds like the word for appointed or offspring, and so this is what we have here, that ultimately there was a replacement for Abel, right? That one that Cain had killed. So to Seth also was born... Uh, uh, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So you're going to see a quick um, comparison of the two lines, right? So you saw Cain's line, and then you're going to see uh, uh, Seth's line. And not too uh, far, one, uh, one grandchild away, or actually you see one grandchild from, uh, from uh, Adam, you're already seeing that the people are calling upon the name of the Lord. What was absent in Cain's line is you don't see anyone was calling on the name of the Lord, right? So as you're walking through this, now we're going to, uh, Moses is going to give us uh, a Google Earth kind of picture of the lineage and going to start from there. So it's a quick comparison or a quick contrast between Cain's line and uh, Seth's line. And then now you're going to begin to see the entire generations that takes us all the way to Noah. So then that's where we get in verse, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. Uh, quick note there. Clearly shows us that this is an, an evolutionary process, is it not? It doesn't say they eventually evolved and became man. It says God, when he created them, called them man because why? They were man. They were mankind, right? And so this is exactly what we see in this particular passage. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So you think, man, that's a long time to have kids. Well, he had two others prior to that, uh, at least two others that we know about, Cain and Abel, right? So that was the previous story. So now we're clearly focusing in on the line of Seth and not Cain is what the point is. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. So somebody do the math quickly and tell me how old Adam is when he died. I hear it. 930. 
I said that to see if you were paying attention, but then number two, we're going to see it, and it's going to tell us exactly what's going to happen coming up. And I did that intentionally because you're going to see, as you're going to walk through, you're going to see a variety of things happen. Uh, there's going to be a pattern that's going to be pretty consistent, not completely consistent, as we walk through the genealogies, and that's intentional. So there's going to be a pattern. You're going to hear the name of the person then, uh, that's being spoken about, and you're going to see the age of him who becomes a father, uh, when he, uh, the age of him when he gives birth to his firstborn male, and then you're going to see the name of the firstborn male. Then you're going to see the years of life lived after the, first, the, the firstborn male was, uh, was, uh, uh, was born. And then you're going to see on some a reference to other children. And then when they died. So that's going to, you're going to see this again and again and again. Right? So we're going to see the name of the person, age of the, the age of the father when he was, the firstborn male was provided, the name of the firstborn male, the years of life after the, the firstborn had, uh, was born, the reference to other children, and then death. So that's going to be the pattern you're going to see over the ten generations. So we start with Adam, and you saw that he had fathered a son, Seth, uh, when he was uh, at 130 years, and then after his image, uh, he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, he had three fathered Seth, were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. That's going to be really important. We're going to come back to that. He had other sons and daughters. That's all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And Kenan had lived 70 years, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. You've seen a pattern, haven't it? It had come again and again and again. Well, it's on purpose. Uh, 18. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. There's Enoch, so I'll draw attention to you. Not the same Enoch in verse 17 of chapter 4. A different line completely. And you're going to see that very clearly as we continue to read. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. Uh Uh-oh, something different. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now, there's something interesting because he didn't live as long as everyone else lived. Why? Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, meaning he was not found, for God took him. So Enoch doesn't die. God just takes him to heaven. He walks with God and walks straight into heaven. How that happens? God, only God knows, right? And of course, Enoch, right? So verse 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. There's the same name as the one that was in Cain's lineage, except for a different guy. Uh, his father was the guy who walked with God and was not, right? Uh, or his grandfather was the guy who walked with God and was not. So when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, so all the days of Methuselah were 900 and 69 years, and he died. That's the oldest anyone's lived was Methuselah, 969 years. 
When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters as all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. So you're seeing something different there. The pattern's broken again. You see it broken with Enoch and now you see it again and broken with Lamech. After Noah was 500 years old, check this out. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's our passage for this morning. And I'm super excited about walking us through this. And so before we do, let's pray together. Ask God to help all of us to listen and to learn and apply and then reproduce what we received this morning. Father, we ask for your aid. We ask for your help. I know it's easy for us to read a bunch of names that was hard to pronounce, potentially hard to remember. Uh, But Lord, there's much truth for us to see here and much uh, that we can begin to glean from that would give us instruction uh, for our even our present day and much information for our present day to help us to interpret the world accurately, help us to interpret ourselves accurately. So, Father, I pray you would help me and help us to understand this passage the way you intended it, the way it was written. And so, Father, I pray not to just gloss over things, but to pay attention and as a result to learn of your character, of your nature, of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, and the Lord, our need for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you sent. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what are we going to learn through this passage? It's more than the chapters we're walking through. Well, we're going to learn about the descendants of the two seeds. If you remember, there was discussion about those two seeds. And so Tim taught two lessons on that, helping us to walk through that. Adam and Eve had children. And in that, there was then the relationship between Cain and Abel. And ultimately, you know, Abel goes off the scene pretty quickly because Cain kills him, the first recorded murder in the Bible. And it didn't take very long. It just took the second generation before that to happen, that Adam and Eve had one uh, child, and then shortly thereafter, a second child. And in that second generation of, of, of children, you already see a murder where he murders his own brother. And so as a result of that, uh, you see the seed that was discussed in chapter 3, verse 15, the enmity between the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent being manifested, right? We talked about that. Well, now you're going to see then the seed of the serpent, if you will, those who reject God, uh, clearly seen in the life and illustrated through the life of Cain as he's then kicked out of the presence of God. He's living as a wanderer and a fugitive that he begins to have children and his lineage continues down that same path, the, line, the lineage of those who are the line of the serpent, the line of those who were enemies of God. And then you see Adam and Eve then having another son that basically replaces the lineage of Abel who was killed, who was murdered, and his name is Seth. And then you're going to see his lineage, which is what all of chapter 5 was taking us to. But it's helping us move quickly to get to a na- another major event. What was going to be the next major event? Who is Noah and what is he tied to? The flood, right? And so he's going to be the one where God's going to judge the entire earth and everyone except for Noah and his wife, his three sons, which we had listed here, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. So you have eight people who are the only people saved on the planet. And many people have discussed how many people this could be. When you're thinking about individuals who've lived a long time and don't have birth control like we have it today, uh, you could see that they were going to be having lots of children because God had told them to have children and have lots of them. Some estimate that there could be more than 7 billion people on the planet prior to the flood. 
Why? Because they're living a long time and they're having children a long time. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up. So you're seeing the two descendants, uh, the two descendants, the two seeds, one of God and one not of God, one of Cain's descendants and one of Seth's descendants that's going to continue to discuss what was established as far as good versus evil, if you will, that's going to be manifested and playing itself out in human relationships. This is important because this leads us to what the promise was that was said there. Ultimately, this uh, enmity between these two seeds is going to continue on and on and on. And basically, the, there's going to be two different kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And Cain's going to represent the kingdom of this world, which is identified by the serpent in chapter 3. And ultimately, God's going to destroy that one day by the, by the seed, by the offspring of the godly seed, right? which ultimately is going to be the Messiah whom Jesus Christ is. He's going to be the fulfillment of chapter 3, verse 15, that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of Jesus is going to crush Satan's head, the serpent's head, and yet he's going to, in attempt, bruise his heel. It ultimately takes Jesus' life, but it doesn't last because three days later Jesus gets up from the grave, conquers death, hell, and grave, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns there. Right? So this is important as we're walking through this, and it's helping set that up. It'll be now the storyline through the remainder of the Bible. And this is why you don't just blow past these, these genealogies because they're so important. Now, we're going to walk through those two genealogies. We're going to walk through those two seeds. So what do we learn of the descendants of the two seeds? Number one, the descendants of the two seeds, it's there in your notes, are literal. There are a literal uh, list of names, a literal description of occupations, Literal ages and births and duration of life. It's literal. It's not figurative. And so you begin to look at these, you begin to see how important these are. And so take something literal, so take it at its word. Uh, Taking the words at their usual or most basic sense without a metaphor or allegory. Representing the exact words of the original text. When we look at this, this is not a metaphor. This is not an allegory. When you hear even pastors say that they are, it's foolishness. Because when you use metaphors, they're not giving all the details that you describe here. All right, you begin to look at a parable, for example, in the New Testament. Jesus does not describe when the prodigal son was born and when the older son was born and which one lived and how long they lived and how old the father was when he gave birth to the older son and how old he was when he, lived, he gave birth to the younger son and when he died after that happened. Why? Because it's a parable. It's a story with a meaning. And Jesus wanted them to pick up the one meaning, the major meaning of that story which was what? God is gracious to sinners, gracious to the sinning son, the younger son who wanted his father to die so he could gain the inheritance and went and spent it on foolish living. He was, uh, he was gracious and willing to be gracious to the older son who had been with him and faithful, even though the younger son hated the, young, or the older son hated the younger son. And God was willing to forgive both, which the father there was representative of God. That's the point of a parable. It's the point of a metaphor or an allegory. This is not that. It's just a tremendous amount of detail as it lists the list of names and descriptions of what they did and, and what they accomplished, ages of the individuals and how old they were when they gave birth to individuals, how long those children lived and when they died, how long their parents died, and great, their, their grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents and on and on and on. They just begin to walk through that this is a literal genealogy. This is a literal list of descendants. So the first thing we see is descendants of the two seeds are literal. That's important. Because the moment you start allegorizing and, and, and claiming things are metaphors when they're not is the moment you begin to make the Bible say things it's not supposed to say. And all the pastors who attract large groups of lost people to their supposed churches, which is not what a church is called, is, is an attempt to do that. They begin to say it's myth, it's legend, it's metaphor, and they don't take it seriously. And we're going to see that's 
foolish because even if they say, hey, I believe in the New Testament and not the Old Testament, they're going to cut their, their nose off in spite, to spite their face in just a moment. So I'll walk you through that. So the descendants of the two seeds are literal. Literal list of names, descriptions of occupations, ages, births, duration of life, and so on. Number two, descendants of the two seeds are chronological. Chronological. You're like, man, what in the world are we We're talking about chronology here. So what are we? Well, it means time, right? So why is this important? It gives us a timeline to help us to arrange the order of things, to help us to arrange the order of uh, a variety of things that we can look at the age of individuals, their children, when they had them, and the sequence that begin to have, uh, begin to give us. And this is important because God instilled this. God uh, wrote this and recorded this on purpose, right? And so you begin to look at this chronolog- uh, uh, It being chronological is super important, as it, or the definition of chronolo- uh, chronological means to arrange something in the order of time. And this is important because God clearly wants us to know how he created things. This is why he told us about how he created the universe in six literal days, six 24-hour periods. And since those are days, those days then help us make up weeks. Weeks make up years uh, or seasons and then years. And years make up uh, decades and so on and so forth to help us to to understand that these guys aren't living off a different calendar than us. You look at this and many people try to then... uh, allegorize it that way and say, well, then 900 years really isn't 900 years. It's kind of a long time. No, God's already defined what a day is for us. And so he's helping us to, to, to uh, understand a sequence of events, right? A timeline to help us to begin to see the order of time, which helps us even to, to give the age of the earth. That's important as we begin to walk through this, because those who would hold to an evolutionary theory, once again, you're going to see that's backward, because why? There would have to be tons and tons and tons of death. But ultimately, realized there was no death. The first death recorded in Scripture, besides the animal that God killed to clothe Adam and Eve, was going to be whom? Abel, when Cain killed him, right? And so you begin to see there was no death prior to that. And so other than the death of an animal. Even though God promised there would be death, God was gracious not to make that immediate. And so we begin to see that. So it's going to give us a timeline to help us to arrange the order of time and give us the age of the earth and the sequences leading up to the flood which is going to be really, really important because many people doubt there was a worldwide flood that the Bible described. Yet, well, we'll get to that. I'm about to share next week's sermon before we get there. So really important. So it gives us a chronology of things that, that, how things happen and why that would be important. So it's literal. It's chronological. Number three, it's historical. The sense of the two seeds are historical. Of or concerning history or concerning past events. You think, well, these are kind of tied together. You need to see how these are. So you begin to look at the chronology here of, for example, the genealogy or the generations of Adam, right? Adam and Seth and Seth to Enosh and Enosh to Kenan, Kenan to Mahalalel, Mahalalel to Jared, Jared to uh, Enoch, Enoch to Methuselah, Methuselah to Lamech, Lamech uh, to Noah. Those 10 generations are historical. It's history. It's real history. And this becomes really important as we begin to tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Why? Well, ultimately, this, uh, uh, this history that has been given of these, this genealogy is not simply in the book of Genesis. It's also in the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, lists these out exactly for us to begin to see the exact same thing that we see here as you walk through it. And that's important for us to, be, to get to see it. So as you look at the Chronicles, it was a list that the children of Israel had recorded. And it's going to give you from Adam to Abraham. But Abraham is going to be really important because why? That's where then the, the promise is going to be given through his son. It was, the entire earth was going to be blessed in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. 
So the entire world's going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham, and it's going to tie Adam to Abraham in this genealogy of 1 Chronicles 1. And so when you look at it, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Here's how 1 Chronicles 1, 1 through 4 reads. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Son, Shem, Ham, Japheth. That's how it opens up. So it's historical. Clearly, generations that have passed are picking up on this isn't a metaphor. This is genuine history. And we can go all the way back to the first person created and tie it in all the way to Abraham. And Abraham's related through this same line, the line of Seth, not Cain. The godly line through Seth can take us all the way to Abraham. So that's, you got it in Genesis, you got it in Chronicles. And you go, okay, okay, but that's Old Testament. Man, nobody pays attention to Old Testament. Well, not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso says on on uh, college football game day on Saturday mornings, which is coming up, by the way. All right, so not so fast, my friend. This history is also listed in the Gospel of Luke. It takes us all the way to Jesus, right? And so you're seeing the lineage that's going to fulfill what Genesis 3.15, the promise of Genesis 3.15, the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 for us. And so it's going to list those guys exactly the same way, except for it's in reverse order, right? So the very end of the list it's the very beginning of the list. And so if you, I'm not going to take you there. Uh, you can look at it for the sake of time. But Luke chapter 3, it's there in your notes. Luke chapter 3, verses 36 through 38. The very end of that uh, genealogy, which is in reverse order, is going to take you all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Uh, not uh, meaning the son of God, the first created man uh, from Jesus Christ himself. And so as you begin to walk through that, you're going to see this is history. This is real life. These are real persons living in real time on a real planet. It's not a story only. It's not just a fable. This is something that's historical. And so the descendants of the two seeds are literal, are chronological, are historical, and they're biological. Biological. It teaches us. So what's biology? The study of life. The study of. Uh, uh, so this is relating to biology or of living things. And so it's talking about real people here. And it's biological, why? Because the instructions that God had gave Adam and Eve from the very beginning was what? Genesis 1, 28, they should be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? That's what they're created to do. For, uh, they have dominion over the earth, to take care of the earth, to tend the earth, and to have children, to have lots of children so the whole earth to be filled at that particular time for the glory of God because there was no sin. And so God had granted them of, uh, an ability to be able to have children and to be able to carry out this command to fulfill it. And so as we look at that, as a result of that, you begin to see things. And so as we're looking at this passage, it gives us insight to begin to see whether or not the world is doing it the right way. Meaning science is great. It's just an, it's an opportunity for us to record uh, events that happen again and again and again. You, you do an, uh, a, a science experiment, you observe it, and you record what happens. The problem for us is, is that none of us can go and recreate the world again. It can't go back in the do. So whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist, you're, all of us are looking at the, the, what the facts that have been handed down to us. And so if you doubt the Bible, you're not going to believe it. If you believe the Bible, you're going to believe it, and you're looking through completely two different lenses. Does that make any sense? One to be looking through the lens of Cain, one to be looking through the lens of Seth. You're going to see the parallel here of these two seeds? And it happens over and over through all kinds of ways that we view life. And so in that sense... We look at it and they go, well, no one lives 900 years today, so therefore that can't be true. It has to be an allegory. Can't be true. But then if you read the Bible closely, 
even as the Bible is moving closer and closer to our day, you begin to see that people aren't living 900 years anymore. You begin to wonder, well, why did the dinosaurs get so large? And we'll talk about some of those things coming up, but I'll give you one illustration. The curse and the effect of sin did not take its toll on us as, as much early on as it does today. Right? This is why they could, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment as well, biologically it's coming up, why they could marry their own siblings, because why? Their DNA was perfect. There was no mutant genes, right? There was no contaminants. There was no... Uh, uh, issues as it relates to our DNA and, and blips on the screen that would create uh, uh, issues of deformity. But as you begin to see more of our DNA breaking down and more of the mutant genes being introduced due to, as a result of sin, now there becomes a law, even in the Old Testament, that you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't intermarry within your own family. There should be a distant marriage from those who are related. We're all related to each other from Adam and then again from Noah, but ultimately there needs to be distance as a result of the problems that are in our own uh, genetic mutations that we would hand down, you then intermarry that way and you're going comp- to um, heighten, you're going to increase the chances of de- deformity as a result of that. But they didn't have it at the beginning. Once again, you know one of the only animals uh, that do not cease growing until their death? Humans, we, we might grow this way, right, in, in our width or girth, but we don't grow height, right? What's one of the only animals that continues to grow till death? But no? Reptiles. So when you think about that, if there, man is living 900 years and reptiles potentially could be living just as long, what will happen to those reptiles? Get really big. Hence what we call what today? Dinosaurs. But then as a result of our of, of sin on the earth, and the Bible says even in Romans, that the entire earth groans, desiring for a recreation. Now the animals don't live as long because sin, the curse of sin and the effects of sin have impacted us. They lived in a completely different state than we have today, right? They didn't have rain. It didn't rain. We'll see that in Genesis chapter 6. Why? There was a canopy over the earth, and so ultraviolet rays and things that could be harmful to us, skin cancer, variety of things, were being protected because of this canopy that kept the earth cool, and even the ground watered from beneath. That's why then the water gushes out and then destroys from water from within, and water from, uh, from without, from the atmosphere, is what then eventually floods the earth when it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And it wasn't just the rain, but the water coming from the earth as well which is in what forms our mountain ranges and a variety of other things that we should begin to look at, which we'll talk more about next week. Also, when we begin to think about these things, it helps us to begin to look at the world properly. Now we understand why there's like fish uh, and fossilized on the, to- on the top of mountainsides. That doesn't make any sense. How did the fish get there? And the archaeologists are unwilling to look at it. Why? Because they don't want to look through the lens of Seth. So the godly don't want to look at the lens of Scripture. They want to look at the lens of Cain out of the presence of God. And so it helps us biologically to see the study of living things. So the lifespans were long. And so you begin to think, and I told you there could be a massive number. Some even say there could be up to like 10 or 15 billion people on the planet prior to the flood. More uh, liberal number, conservative numbers, many say it could be 6 or 7 billion people, which is what we have on our planet today. Now, why would they say that? Well, because people weren't dying as quickly, right? You got people living until 900 years old. And the opportunity to give birth was longer. So you begin to think, okay, they might have lived longer, but they didn't have kids as early, right? So basically their lifespans were longer, but it took them longer to reach puberty. Is that true? Well, through our, through our genealogies, it helps us to begin to see that, right? So how does the Bible answer that question for us? Well, you begin to see that they were giving birth. Mahalalel in the line of Seth and Enoch in the line of Seth 
were having their firstborn male. This is the only one that was recorded. They didn't record the female, so they could have had women earlier, uh, or they could maybe potentially have a male and he died. They're maintaining here the firstborn males that, that continued. Ultimately, they had given birth at 65 years old. All right, so the earliest known record, record of giving birth, uh, that he, a man produced a child with his wife at age 65, right? So they were having sex at around 64, right? And so Enoch and Mahalalel both had children, had a male son, at least at the age of 64, could have had girls earlier than that. But then that's 65. Well, then how long did they, could they keep having children? Well, you've got Noah having children after he turned 500. So you've got a pretty long lifespan of having kids. If you're not dying, and those lifespan of those children continually last longer, and you've got a, 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 an environment that's more conducive than it is to us today, then ultimately, ultimately you can have a lot of people living on the face of the planet, so much so that the sin would be multiplied so much that God would desire to kill the whole world and start over. Right? So you begin to think, like, this is, there's things that we can learn about biology just by simply looking at the Scriptures. And there's been numerous things. A book I would encourage you to look at is uh, that uh, 150 scientific facts that prove the Bible, where believers were looking, that were looking through the lens of Seth rather than the lens of Cain, that were looking at the Bible, helping us to learn things, or even to help to uh, uh, learning from this to begin to teach us about the world that we look in, uh, we look at to be able to help us long before we figured it out. Let me give you an example. The Bible speaks of and teaches uh, that the earth is a globe and it hangs in nothingness, right? That's what the Scripture teaches us. And so as we, we see that and we look at the Scripture, somebody would read that and go, well, then the earth clearly can't be flat. But it wasn't until 1492 that Columbus sailed the ocean blue that they began to realize, hey, man, we thought we we're going to fall off the face of the planet. And then we eventually go into space, and what do we realize? The Bible was right long ago, all, all the way in the Old Testament. You have the Eastern mysticism, and what do they believe? That the world was being held up by what? Either or Greeks with, the, with Atlas, or if you get like the, the, uh, uh, the Eastern mysticism, they would say it was on, a, on the back of an a, uh, elephant, and the elephant was standing on a what? A turtle! Well, what was a turtle standing on? Right? And so, but ultimately, these are the kind of crazy things that was given, but yet the Bible says it was a sphere hanging in nothing. What do we know now? The Bible was right long before all of us who think we're so smart put these things forward, right? This is listed in the Old Testament. And so as we begin to see this, much that can be learned about biology, right? So one of the major problems people have is in verse 17. Go back to verse 17. This is Cain's line, the line that rejected God. Why? Cain had went away from the presence of the Lord, verse 16, to settle in the land of wandering because he was a wanderer and a fugitive east of Eden. So he's rejecting God, been rejected by God, both and. And so now it says Cain knew his wife. And atheists for years and years and years have said, Up! There's your problem, you stupid Christians. You can't even read your own Bible. Who did Cain marry? And they're like, ha ha, I got you. Well, man, you don't understand what the, you don't understand the book you're reading. Don't tell us we don't understand the book you're reading. We know what the book you're reading. What did I already tell you? What's recorded? Firstborn, somebody said it, firstborn. Who said that? So would you say that? Well, well done. If I had treats, I'd throw them at you, but I don't have any in my hands, right? So what you do when I work with the student ministry and we throw treats out. But then the people who were like longer arms like me would just steal their treat anyway, so it didn't work. But anyway, attempt to reward you, right? Firstborn male. So he could have had children, female children, and Courtney could have had female children after he gave birth to uh, Cain and Abel, right? So even if they were the firstborn, firstborn, and they were firstborn male and the firstborn period, they still could have had daughters at that particular time. And that's exactly what it says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 4. 
The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So where did Cain get his wife? He was his sister. Now, once again, we realize there wasn't mutant genes at that particular time because they weren't dying. There wasn't all these contaminants. There wasn't the, the curse of sin. Uh, it, God was gracious to allow it to be gradual, and so ultimately they didn't have the problems that we have today. The sin had not taken its toll on us like it has today, and so as a result, they lived longer, and as a result of that, they could intermarry because of the, their, their DNA was better. And so as a result of this, there's a tremendous benefit there for us to begin to realize Cain didn't get a, an animal. Cain had a sister, and that's who he married. And so this is exactly why. Because there didn't have anybody else to marry, right? There was only two people on the planet, Adam and Eve. Which, by the way, we'll get there, which is why racism is stupid. There's no such thing as racism. We have different ethnicities, but we all come from Adam. And if you didn't buy that, we came again from whom? Eight people, Noah, after God destroyed everyone but those eight. So there's no racism, right? There's no races. There's one blood the Bible describes in the book of Acts. One blood, that's the human race. And so all of us are there. Now, there are different ethnicities, but even our di- distinctions, our differences, our variations are so small when you take the entire person and not just look at their outer characteristics and traits. And so uh, racism is an absolute fraud. Uh, there are different ethnicities, different cultures, but there is but one race, the human race and that's a biblical viewpoint that we need to know and need to to uh, rely on and trust in right but we begin to learn other things from that you begin to know who Cain's wife was you begin to see death now is taking its toll throughout our genealogy right eight times you see in Genesis chapter 5 that they died Adam died Seth died Enosh died Kenan died Mahalalel died Jared died Enoch did not die well done all right, Methuselah died, Lamech died, eventually Noah and his three sons will die, right? And so we begin to see the, that God's promise of the curse, uh, that they will die in the day they eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, that they did die. It just took, God was gracious in that time. And so you begin to see death listed over and over and over, that ultimately these uh, living organisms that God had created were going to die. So we begin to see that the descendants of the two seeds are literal, chronological, historical, biological, and anthropological. Anthropological. You think, man, what in the world? We're at like class. Ultimately, it's just a study of humans and human behavior, societies in the past and present. And so that's what we're beginning to see as God's helping us to begin to see this. This is the only known record uh, that we have that, we, that uh, with absolute certainty is accurate about the, the society before the flood. And we have very little of that. There's very little that's even described even in the line of Seth. More is coming from the line of Cain that tells us this. And so we begin to see this. What do we begin to learn and learn quickly? We begin to see that they built cities, right? So verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived for Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Why is that important? When you're in school, how were the, the, the humans viewed and described to you, these early men? How were they described to you? Like what? Like cavemen, right? Yeah, Fred Flintstone with big feet and big arms with a big club walking around with a leopard onesie on, right? He's got a onesie and he's walking around and he's like, everyone's foolish and stupid. That's not at all how the Bible describes how these people were. They had languages. They were, they were worshiping long before this. They had worshiped long before. We're going to see this as well. So it wasn't, and you'll hear people say, we're just elaborate beings and needed something to worship. So we created God so we could begin to walk through this process. That's not true at all either. From the very beginning, we're seeing worship. 
From the very beginning, we're seeing praise or rejection of God, right? And so this is exactly, you've got two seeds. Those are the kingdom of God, those who are not the king of the kingdom of God. Those are the kingdom of Satan or the line of Cain. And so you begin to walk through this. But that's how we've always seen it, right? Neanderthal man and all these other guys that we begin to see, and they're all cavemen, and they're stupid, and they're like, oh, woman, fire, oh, oh, right? But that's not how the Bible describes them, even of the ungodly line. Even of the line that rejects God, what does it say about them? They were brilliant. They built a city. They were intelligent, competent. And guess what? In the areas they weren't intelligent, as intelligent or competent in, 900 years gives you a lot of experience to do it right. Right? You try to pick up a new, uh, new opportunity. Maybe you want to learn to play something, to play an, an instrument, or you want to learn a new thing. My family, some of my children are crocheting and knitting and, and doing the right things. We, we're attempting our hand at gardening, and so each year we're getting a little bit better. Hey, 900-plus years, you're going to get pretty good at doing your job, right? 900-plus years competency increases. And you got to be, be, the reason they lived as long as they did is because why? The environment was better than our environment. The, the, the creativity was better than our creativity in certain ways. Now, over collective time, we're, we're, we're doing some amazing things, but they were building cities then. So don't anybody fool you when they're like, it had to be aliens that built those pyramids. It had to have been. No, because the first grandchild or the first son came and built he built cities, and the city he named after his son, which is the grandchild of Adam, right? A city being built. So listen, the stuff that we're learning in school, I'm not saying reject it all. There's things that can be learned, but just challenge it, because why? If you're going to say you're a Christian, you believe the Bible, you need to believe what the Bible says. And it doesn't have us walking around in, in leopard print onesies with a club on our back like Fred Flintstone. It has us building cities, even those who weren't lovers of God. You tracking with me? And that's great to know. It's great to, for us to understand because it helps to make sense of how many uh, marvels that have still endured the test of time and provided for us even like the Egyptian pyramids and a variety of other things of these wonders of the world that we see today. It wasn't because aliens zoomed down and helped us out, right? Because why? They were building cities. You see, that's why I had tents and livestock, right? So to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushiel, Methushiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah, and Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and livestock. And so they're helping to develop livestock and the keeping of those and providing for those. And ultimately, if they were rejecting God, uh, they probably were eating that livestock uh, even though they weren't permitted to do so at that particular point. God eventually allows that to be done, uh, and the godly line would have maintained that, but probably the ungodly line didn't care because why? Their, their father went out from the presence of the Lord, and he was a wanderer and a fugitive, right? And so they probably weren't, they didn't care about that. What else do we see? Well, his, um, his brother, verse 21, his brother's name is Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre or guitar is what that would be, and pipe, woodwinds, right? So he already had music, Shannon, and, and uh, when you guys would be excited to be able to hang out there is where our music came from. You begin to see this. Where then God can be used for godly purposes. This is exactly why David was brought to Saul and was brought to the household of the king. Because why? He could play a mean guitar, right? So he could crush it. And so they brought him uh, musically there in verse 21. We see that was it started even with the line and lineage of Cain. Metallurgy. What is metallurgy? Uh, so what verse 22 tells us. Zelah, one of the wives of Lamech. Uh, bo- uh, also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, right? So they're 
getting iron ore out of the ground. How are they doing that? I don't know, but they were doing that, and they were being able to forge them into weapons. They were able to forge them into instruments that could be used for a variety of things, potentially tilling the earth and, and, and utilizing it for livestock that could be seen. But ultimately, we were seeing a variety of very creative things taking place. And then something subtle that you probably would miss that's there, and after you see it, you're like, man, this is awesome. I didn't even catch that. Uh, some of the highest forms of language is poetry. And you see Lamech, even though he's ungodly, writing poems. Where do you see it? Would you see in your scriptures how Lamech said to his wives, and it's indented there, right? That's a poem. It's poetry. And so in this, you're going to see poetry. And so he says, he's saying a song. And so uh, a a song he wrote about himself to his women. So he's boasting of himself. Could have potentially even put it to music for those who, when they had their family get-togethers, and those who showed up with the lyre and the pipe began to play. He may have even put it to music. But it says, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Right? Now, it doesn't rhyme to us because it's in our English language. But potentially it could have rhymed and had uh, ways that we could be able to tie together. But clearly there's parallelisms there, right? And so uh, he comes to hear his voice, listen to what he says, wounding me, striking me, and then sevenfold revenge versus 77-fold revenge. So you've got parallelism that would be there. And so you've got a variety of things even in poetry. So we begin to look at this as far as the study of humans and their human behavior in societies. We begin to see that they were building cities. They were living in tents. You have nomadic people that would, with livestock, that would be very important if you had sheep because they needed land to be able to graze on and a different, variety of different lands uh, when they would be able to eat that area. Uh, or a variety of horses or other things that were being used. They were being able to even interbreed some of these animals within the same kinds, of course. Uh, there was mu- uh, musical ability, there was metallurgy, and there was poetry. So these were intelligent, rational creatures of God, not the cavemen we're told to believe in that evolved to something better. Right? Already, we've just looked at a few verses, and you see how amazing a genealogy is? It's tremendous if you begin to apply it to real life and not just go, I don't know what it's about. How's this going to help me have a better life today? This book isn't about you. What is this book about? God. Us knowing God. And yes, the more we know who God is, the better we understand ourselves. Are we with God or are we without God? Are we away from the presence of the Lord like Cain and his lineage? Or are we, with the presence? Are we walk with God like this, the lineage of Seth, those who walk with God? Which is also not only said about Enoch, but also said about Noah as well. And so anthropological studies for us to be able to look at it and begin to make sense of our world. So important because why? If you just believe whatever's told you and don't look at what's actually in the scriptures, you can say, I love Jesus. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. And you're going to believe absolutely opposite about uh, human history because of what you were taught in school or secondary education at college. And the Bible is an answer book for us, right? It helps us, but we have to study it and study it like we would our, our textbooks at school. We have to read it and comprehend it and ask questions of it and apply it to our lives, right? So there we are. The sense of two seeds are literal, chronological, historical, biological, anthropological, and are genealogical. Genealogical gives a, a list of generations. So geneal- genealogies are relating to the study or the tracing of lines or descendants of family descent. This is exactly what we're talking about, the descendants of the two seeds. And so you're seeing now two genealogies that's going to be running through the pages 
of Scripture, all the way that we saw that took us all the way to Christ Himself. And so you see two different generations, uh, seven generations of Adam through Cain, right? That leads us to Lamech. And man, he was a poor example for us, right? He was boasting of himself in his poetry. And we're going to walk through a little bit more of that. I'm not leaving that there. I'm going to come back to it. So you've got seven generations of Adam through Cain that leads to Lamech. Uh, contrasting with this, the seventh generation from Adam through Seth to Enoch. Imagine those two. Lamech boasts about what? Killing somebody, right? And that ultimately God's going to take care of him. God's, gonna, God's not going to have anything to happen to him, even though he killed a man. That ultimately, I'm such a bad dude that if my... My uh, forefather had, was going to have, God was going to take sevenfold revenge on him. God's going to take 77-fold revenge of anybody who kills me. So, hey, listen, ladies, you're with the best man around here, right? I'm willing to take a life. I'm willing to protect you. I'm willing to care for you. And listen, God, God's got my back, even though he's sinning against God by taking life, right? You know, he's sinning against God by taking life. He's boasting about how God's going to, Come to his aid and revenge those who might take him 77-fold. That's opposite to the seventh generation of Seth's line, Enoch. What happened to him? He walked with God. Twice it was listed that he walked with God, and God took him. God took him. God was pleased to walk with God. God was pleased with Enoch. So you see the seven generations from Adam to Cain through Lamech, and then you the ten generations in Seth's line, which leads to Noah and eventually the flood where God destroys the world except for eight people and those animals that were on the ark and clearly the ones that could live in the sea, right? And so once again, we saw that there's uh, genealogies. How do we know it's a real genealogy? Ultimately, there's a consistent pattern in this genealogy of Seth. Once again, not a metaphor. We talked about this earlier. Name of a person, age of the father when he gave birth to the firstborn male, name of the firstborn male, years of life lived after the firstborn male, reference to other children, and then when they died, right? A clear genealogy that we walk through this. And this isn't just for the book of, of, of Genesis, there's going to be a new number of genealogies that's going to be listed here as well uh, that are upcoming. You're going to see genealogies. You saw a genealogy in chapter 2, verse 4 uh, that we looked at earlier as it walked through the, gene- the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Then we see this genealogy that we have here in chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Chapter 6, verse 9, you see the, no- the generations of Noah. Chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 10. Chapter 27, or chapter 11, verse 27, chapter 25, verse 12, chapter 25, verse 19, and then chapters 36 and 37. You're going to see generations and generations and generations, more and more and more genealogies for us. It's to help us. And so this record is genealogical. And then this will be where we'll wrap it up, and we'll be here for a minute. We'll wrap it up. The descendants of the two seeds are relational. Relational. They relate to one another, and they relate to each other. And yes, they, either, uh, they relate to God in some form or, or uh, format, right? And so they're relational. And what are we learning about these relationships? Well, it's going to contrast the two seeds in the relationship with God, right? We've talked about this, hinted at this on numerous occasions, that one is going to be you know, leaving the presence, going away from the presence of the Lord, which would be the lineage of Cain. We have the lineage of the serpent, and you're going to have the lineage of the woman, right? Those who have the godly lineage. They're going to be the ones who will be walking with God, who will call upon the name of the Lord. And so this is, what, this is the primary takeaway. All these other things are helpful. Primary takeaway is this relationship with God, right? This is, what, this is the main point. I left it at the end for, um, uh, for emphasis for us to be able to walk through this. And so it's primarily contrasting the descendants that they are in opposition to each other as they relate to God. And here's the relationship. Everyone relates to God. 
You say, well, no, we talk about relationships. No, everyone relates to God. It's just whether or not how they relate to God. So the relationship, uh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. All right, how? You just know about him? You just believe there is a God? You don't believe there is a God? The reality is everyone relates to God in some format. It's how you relate to God. Do you come to God on his terms? Do you trust God and who he is, who, how he's described himself? Or are you creating a God in your own mind that you're giving God's name to? That's worship. But it's the wrong, false worship, right? That's exactly what Cain did, which got him in trouble to begin with. And so how do they relate to God? And you're going to see the two uh, types of seeds. So first you're going to see uh, in your notes the seed of the serpent and how he relates to God. And he relates to God by ignoring God, by leaving the presence of God. What you're going to realize here is in the list of Cain, there is not a single person in the genealogy of Cain. There's not a single reference to God and and a desire to worship or call upon or honor God with their lives. Yes, they were talented. Yes, they were competent. Yes, God gave them common grace, which allowed them to do a variety of things. Unbelievers can get married and have children and and receive many of the blessings and benefits of God that God gives commonly to all men, but they don't have the personal relationship and relating to God in His way, in His terms, being empowered and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't trust His Word. They don't yield to His Word. They don't love His Word. They don't honor His Word. They don't obey His Word. And so as a result of that, they have common graces just like these guys. They were able to build cities and do a variety of other things, play music and do tremendous, great and gifted talents. But ultimately, they didn't relate to God on God's terms. How do we know that? Verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of wandering, the land of Nod, east of Eden, because he was a wanderer and a fugitive. And what do you see his family doing? That they begin to take after their father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, and so on, right? So they're taking after him. And so that's why you see immediately Lamech then is going to introduce polygamy, two wives. You're going to wonder why there's polygamy in the Bible. It's not because God endorsed it. God could have created one man with two women, but he didn't. could have created one man with three women, but he didn't. He could have created one woman, with 12 men, and he didn't. He created one man, one woman for life, right? And this is the reality that we're supposed to see here. This is why, why in the New Testament, the, the, the Bible teaches that the, the, the role of an officer, overseer, the role of a bishop, the role of a pastor, a teacher, the role I have, one of the qualifications is I would be a one-woman kind of man. One woman, guess how it's translated in the Greek, a one-woman man. What does that mean? What does it tell me? It means that ultimately God intends marriage to be one man, one woman for life, right? And so this is exactly the opposite of what's taking place. Now, does that mean that there aren't some people in the lineage of Christ that had multiple wives? Sure, right? There could be a variety of reasons for it, but ultimately this, this is why you see that God didn't intend for that to be the case, but God is gracious even in the midst of our sin and our rebellion, and that's all of us, right, except for Christ. And so you see the relationship, and so you see polygamy being introduced, and then it continues on. With Lamech, right? The illustration of how bad things have gotten. Not only does he take two wives, but now he's boasting to his wives about killing people. And ultimately, that for somebody who just slightly wounds him, he kills them, right? That's what it says in verse uh, 23, right? I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me, right? So even in my, potentially my old age, look how strong I am. Look how I take down these young men, these young boys, these young lads who want to come and Take my reign from me. Look what I can do. I've killed them. And then he boasts us that we've talked about before that ultimately the revenge that God will take is going to be even so much more severe because he's so much more of a man than even Cain was. Dripping with muchissimo, right? They're just dripping with this machoism, right? And so he's 
he's talking about how much of a stud that he is and why God, how God's going to protect him and care for him using that. Ultimately, God's going to revenge anyone who tries to take me down 77-fold, right? And that's intended to be hyperbole, right? A large number. How do we know that? Well, even Jesus uses the same type of illustration in Matthew chapter 18. Remember when he's talking about forgiving others? And Peter comes up to him after Jesus has shared the illustration and, and it comes up to him and says, well, Jesus, how, how much do we forgive somebody? Seven, seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven or 77 times, right? Why? What's it communicating? Hyperbole, more than you can count, more than you would ever accomplish. That's the graciousness of God given to you. That's the graciousness you should give to others who repent of their sin and place their tra- faith and trust in God. And so this is the, the route that goes. So you see the relationship. They were without God. You see no mention of God other than in a way of using God for their own benefit. God will revenge me. Right? If it's what he's going to do to Cain, it's what he would do to me. They're just using God. Not technically, but they're attempting to, right? Use him at least in his own poetry to be able to show how awesome he is. And then you see in verse 25 and 26, the opposite. And Adam knew his wife again. Now, there's no hope at this point, right? There's a promise that through her seed, Genesis 3.15, it's going to be a, a person, an offspring that was going to crush the head of the serpent. And he's going to bruise his heel. So it's going to be a minor blow to that person, but it's going to restore what went wrong when they sinned against God. And so Adam and Eve now are like, well, now that son that was doing that to please God, Cain killed him, and now God kicked him out. And so now he's wandering and where is this promise coming from? And this is what God gives them to the line of Seth. For she said, she, they called him Seth, for she said, God has appointed, right? It's the same as a play on words for what Seth's name is. Seth means appointed. And so God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth was also born a son. So now you're going to see their grandson. Uh, his name is going to be Enosh, as we see there in verse 26. And at that time, listen to this, you're going to see the reference to God. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to pray. They began to praise the Lord. They began to share God's witness again. Right? Yeah, you see all this that was happening. These guys who could play the guitar, the guitar and it was a mean guitarist, right? The Jimi Hendrix of, of that particular day. The guys who could play the woodwinds and a variety of other instruments. You got those who could self-made men were metal forgers, right? Metallurgy. And they were forging instruments of bronze and iron. And you begin to see how amazing that is. They had livestock and they were providing for themselves. So they thought, right? They had poetry and polygamy and they, all the things they wanted to do, they said no. They never said no to themselves. But they didn't think of God. And yet here you see, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then you begin to see, that's a contrast between the two seeds. So you see the seed of the serpent and you see the seed of the woman. And that's where we went in verses 25 and 26. And then it's more fully expounded in verses 1 through 32 of chapter 5, right? And so this is why then it tells the story again and walks through Adam. When God created man, he made him in his own likeness, the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them the man, named them man, which is mankind, man and woman. We talk mankind and the male gender, but we're talking about all uh, humans, male and female. They called a man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. That's important, right? Yes, it's going to have characteristics that we still are uh, uh, image bearers of God, right? We still bear God's image. All of us do. Um, uh, Those who love God and those who don't still have some of that in us. But now there's more of the likeness of Adam because why? He has a sin nature. He has an orientation to sin. And so it's interesting 
that uh, a sinner can have a sinner, but a saint can't have a saint. God, they have to be born again. That's what the scripture tells us. And so Adam can love God, but he had Cain and didn't love God. And uh, Abel did, but then Cain killed him. And then ultimately Seth needed to be born again, as, as we all do. We need to, God needs to recreate us to love him. And so he was made in the likeness of Adam. Still had some of the image of God there, but more of the image of Adam in him. And he called him Seth, right? So you begin to see this now, this genealogy again and again. But now it's with the viewpoint of honoring God. Right? Adam and Eve wanted to honor God after they had fallen. Abel wanted to honor God. And now you're going to see Seth's going to want to honor God because you see Enos going to be honor God. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And you see this again and again and again all throughout the remainder of Scripture, clearly in this line. That's where then when you eventually get down to Enoch, he lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Uh, and then in that, you're going to see that Enoch walked with God. And then ultimately, when he was 365 years old, he was taken. He was, uh, he was not. So God took him. And so you begin to see even in Hebrews, it talks about Enoch, Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. No reference to God in Cain's line. And now you're saying they begin to call upon the name of the Lord. They begin to praise him. They begin to pray to him. They begin to share him with others. All the way to the point where ultimately you see Enoch pleasing him to the point where God takes him. And then you see another reference here. And it's interesting because it's not listed in in the gospel. Or it's not listed in Genesis. But it's listed in another book of the Bible. It's the book. Right before the very last book of the Bible, uh, or right before the very last book of the Bible, you see Jude. It's a little letter, only has one chapter with a variety of, uh, uh, with only uh, 25 verses. But listen to verse 14. Another reference to another writer, Jude, thinks that uh, the genealogies are correct, because listen to what he says. Verse 14 of Jude. It was also about these, speaking of the false prophets, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, where does he get that information? Oh, he gets it from Luke. Chapter 3, verses 36 through 38. He gets it from First Chronicles, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as we studied. And he gets it from Genesis, chapter 5, verse 1 through 32. That's where he gets seven generations from Adam. It was also said about these, these false prophets, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's a lot of ungodly right there now. Right? What's it saying? It gives us some information that even the book of Genesis isn't getting. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jude in the New Testament is telling us about what Enoch actually did. And it says he was a preacher. And he prophesied against false prophets. Already had false prophets saying bad things about God. Where do you think they came from? The line of Cain. Right? Hey, live how you want. Do whatever you want to do. Right? Live however you would like to live. And it says here that he prophesied saying, Hey, the Lord's coming and he's coming with some holy angels. And it's not going to go well for you. And even though he was predicting something in the New Testament, he was predicting what was going to be fulfilled in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and didn't know it exactly all that was going to be playing out. God did send a judgment, did he not? And a big one. All of the ungodly. This is what he said was going to happen, right? Because God killed everybody on the planet except for eight people. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives, right? There was no children that were born to them at that point. And it's exactly what he says. To execute judgment on all 
and to convict all of the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did God judge all the ungodly? Yea, he did. Worldwide flood. Genesis chapter 6 we'll be studying next week. Right? And so as we're walking through this, this is how we're seeing this thing play out. And so you see Enoch, he walked with God, and the Bible begins to speak with him. And then you see it again. Uh, he has a son, Methuselah, and then Methuselah has Lamech. Both of them died, so you know. We'll cover this again next week. Both of them died the, um, uh, prior to the flood. So Methuselah dies the year of the flood, and Lamech dies as well prior to the flood. And so the descendants there that are listed aren't. The reason they're not on the ark is because they were already dead. As you do the, the, uh, the history of their ages and dates and uh, walk through those. I was so interested in my, in my own time, like I was just beginning to walk through it and start listing all of them and begin to see what takes place and how it works and how everybody's going. So I was just doing my own homework that you could be doing it the same way. Guess how amazing this is. God did not leave the people without a witness. Do you know how long Adam lived? Well, yeah, and the Bible says he lived 930 years. No, no, I mean, how many generations into his lineage did he live? Who could he have had a personal conversation as a great, 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 great grandfather to? According to my little trusty notes here, he lived all the way to Lamech. All the way to Lamech. One generation from Noah. So did they have a witness? Yeah, they did. Adam could have told them the story. So before you begin to think, man, we can't believe this Bible and this isn't true. God's always left his people here and communicated truth to them, through them, to be a witness for him. And so you had all the way up to Lamech, nine generations before the 10th generation of Noah. Right? Amazing to begin to think about that. God allowed him to live that long, not just to, to fulfill the, fill the earth with just humans, but fill the earth with his glory, which is what the intent was to begin with. And that then leads us to Noah. His name means... Uh, relief, right? His name means uh, rest or comfort, to catch your breath, if you will. And ultimately, there's a promise given to him in verse 29, out of the ground the Lord, that the Lord God has cursed. This one shall bring from us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And that's exactly what he brought. He brought a breath of fresh air, relief and comfort, right, to God. The evil that was on the earth, the evil that was on the planet, there was a, a recalibration, right? There was a resetting, and God destroyed them all except for Noah and his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters, because why? And we'll talk about why that happened, and some of that, which is really interesting. You don't want to miss it next week. It's crazy interesting. It has a lot to do with demons and people. And so we'll, we'll begin to walk through that coming up in our study in the upcoming weeks. And for us to begin to see the two descendants, here's the question for us, the big takeaway, and we'll wrap it up. Which lineage are you of? The lineage of Cain, of the serpent, of the evil one, of this world, or of the Lord? of Seth, of Adam, of Enoch, right? Of Noah, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and on and on, King David. And it lists all the way to the fulfillment in Christ. Are you in Christ? If not, I encourage you to confess your sin, agree with God, call your sin what it is. Turn from your sin, place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus who lived the life that we couldn't, perfect obedience to God, and died the death that we deserve so that our sins could be forgiven. And trust him with your past, present, and your future. Let's... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.